A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Ron Fishkin. Bravo, bravo. Oh, thank you. That sounds very Italian. Wonderful, which is appropriate because uh, our partners in this whole kind of scheme is Wordlift, who are an Italian company who deal with knowledge, internal knowledge graph, schema markup, and pushing all this into the knowledge graph, which is my current obsession. Um, when we last met, it was a year and a half at YoastCon. My obsession was much more marketing. And your four horsemen, um, I was going to say discourse, but I think that's French. Um, incredibly interesting. Really, really, really cool. Yeah, it, it feels um, apocryphal now to uh, to be talking about these these four horsemen, and and here we are uh, in an era, at least in the United States. I don't know about um, where you are, but in the United States, where there's there's definitely a sense that our uh, pandemic yeah. response has been colored by how the tech giants have led us down roads of disinformation and problematic um oh yeah maybe problematic. maybe we should change the topic for today because yeah that would be an interesting topic i mean from my point of view i'm sitting here in france yeah i i, I went around the world i went from paris to australia to america back here and i landed back here and then they shut the whole thing down literally yeah. within a week Oof, good timing yeah no i was lucky i was really lucky and i i ended up living with my daughter in eight meters squared which is very small Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, she said, oh, you can come and stay with me, Daddy, because I didn't have a home. Um, and uh, France has actually come out quite well. Paris, what they've done is they've closed the streets, got rid of all the parking spaces, all the terraces, all the restaurants have turned into terraces on the street. And it's oh. been absolutely lovely. My God, I, that sounds... That sounds so stunningly beautiful and just... I, I think I think this is one of the things that, that the United States really doesn't know what it's missing is that you know, when you have a little bit more collectivism and you have a little yeah. bit more of a sense of national unity and um, that, that your pride isn't in individual responsibility, but in, but in collective responsibility, that this, the, the beautiful outcomes for individuals happen. And I don't, I, think, I don't think Americans, unfortunately, don't connect up the fact that, that those yeah. two things can work in symbiosis. And uh, as a result, we get, you know, we get what we get, which is uh, my wife and I are going into month seven of lockdown. Really? You know, where, you know, we leave our house, yeah, basically once a week to get groceries with a mask on. And even then it's, you know, it's pretty sketchy and just, oh, yeah, that's it's just awful. I mean, we, we had uh, maybe two months of lockdown, uh, a little bit more perhaps. Uh, and I'm now back in Paris and it's got a, a, a quite left-wing uh, local authority. And they've just yeah. said, right, okay. And they, they've been coming around with these guys who have been burning off the parking spaces and just replacing it with, uh, with uh, wooden boards where restaurants and cafes can put their terraces. So the whole thing is just kind of, <laughs> Paris is converted into one big cafe terrace. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the the French have always had sort of a cultural and national mindset of, and this is not just true of of France, right? I think this is generally true of many European countries and and lots of places outside of Europe as well. That that you know the goal is to maximize happiness and opportunity for the largest number of people, yeah. and if that restricts the 
um, the opportunities available to the wealthiest and, and most powerful individuals, that's a good thing. And the United right. States has sort of been the opposite, where yeah. um, if, if we inflict a lot of suffering on many people, that is okay as long as we don't infringe on the rights of a few rich and powerful people. Yeah, we, we do get the people in their big kind of Jaguar cars driving around honking and getting really annoyed. But general opinion seems to be, yeah, all right. I mean, so what? I, I, think the, I think the right response is you have made the correct decision. You have prioritized the right people, right? Yeah. Well, people who want to go outside and eat in cafes and can't afford a car, awesome, wonderful. We, we yeah. want to prioritize them. People who want to park their Jaguar in the middle of Paris, Sorry, friend, you got to walk. Yeah, no, I, I just just one last thing because I really want to say it, and this all sounds really kind of self-satisfied about Paris and France. And I'm actually English to start with. I just got French nationality, so oh. I, I'm kind of adopted. So I'm going, ooh, isn't this cool? But actually, I've got nothing to do with it. I didn't vote for any of these people. The French <laughs> people did. Now I'm French, I can vote, and I will vote. Um, but they, they've got the, the Quai de la Seine, the, the, the side of the river, and they close it down. Uh, during the summer, during the month of August every year, and they've closed it down. We thought they weren't going to do it, and they set up beaches in the middle of Paris, and they had dance clubs, these kind of like, um, uh, uh, what, what would you call them? Like kind of throw-up throw bars where they put the bars up, right, yeah. throw up in the sense of we put them up, not yep, yep, we, we drink and then throw up, which would be rather dis- <laughs> Uh And it's been brilliant. That's... Um... You're going to make me cry, Jason. I mean, it's just, just imagining, just imagining <laughs> that places uh, in the world, I guess it's, um, it is very heartening to know that not everywhere is like the United States, right? Where people are just in yeah. living in fear, it's some combination of fear and, and such, you know, hatred and disdain for their neighbors or their political rivals that they're sort of willing to sacrifice themselves. And um, yeah, it's been... It, it, it's just been really, it's been so bad here. You know, I look at the um, the deaths around the world. I think the United States is responsible for, or is is the place where I think somewhere between a quarter and a third of the deaths from COVID um, yeah. have happened, despite the fact that we have something like, you know, 7%, 6% of the world's population. So we're just, no, just yeah, terrifying. It, it's absolutely bonkers. I mean, from our point of view, Hour, I'm saying, from yeah, the European yeah. point of view, the English point of view. I'm, I'm looking at the UK with uh, Brexit and Boris Johnson, and then the US with Trump, and just thinking, oh, oh God, yeah. this is a good place to be right now, and I hope it stays that way. I really do. Yeah, I anyway, sorry, nationalism. Nationalism is very dangerous, right? Like directly yeah. dangerous to your health and the health of your parents and grandparents and children <laughs> and loved ones. It's very dangerous. So. I don't know. No. Hopefully this will be a good reminder for future generations to look back on and reflect on the fact that that nationalism wasn't a good idea in the 30s and 40s, and it's not a good idea now. Yeah, um, and I would love that to be true. But then you look back to the, the Spanish flu pandemic from over a century ago, and what I've been reading is none of us have really learned our lesson from that. No, well... I. I don't know. It, it looks like there's a lot of places in the world, France included, that have taken some pretty substantial measures and have had some some serious success. But but going back to you know our internet marketing world, I I look at many of the problems that are occurring, and I I don't know if you feel this way at all, but I I sometimes feel that what our field 
both startups and technology and web marketing and sort of messaging and, and spreading content on the internet yeah. that um, I don't know if we're directly to blame, but that our field bears a great deal of responsibility Ooh. for the misinformation and the disinformation for the, for enabling the viral spread of, of bad ideas. Right. And, um, and it's very hard to reconcile the sort of, um, you know, little l liberalism um, concept of freedom of speech, right? That we should be able to speak our minds, that that ideas shouldn't yeah. be restricted, and also keep in mind how how dangerous and how rapidly uh, and how easily accepted bad information is. Uh, I, there was a great piece yesterday. Can't remember where it was, but it was it was called something like the uh, the truth is paywalled, but the lies are free. Oh, oh, that's a really good title. Great and, title. And and and, it, and sorry, I mean, but that does come to the fact is as digital markets, we have a certain amount of responsibility. Absolutely. Uh, but I think a lot of us kind of put to one side, thinking, okay, it doesn't really matter. I'm doing it. And 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 one of those things is my obsession is knowledge graphs, knowledge panels, and I've obviously been looking at yours and uh, researching. I've been tracking you, which is a bit creepy, and I'm really sorry, but um, it's part and parcel of the deal. I'm afraid. Um, and and I just got all my pages, all the articles about me, my rock group and my cartoon characters cartoon characters that were watched by millions of children literally a hundred million children might have might, might have seen that I'm, I'm not exaggerating but you know obviously we get a bit enthusiastic about what we've created but it was a million kids a month wow and it got deleted and you're saying okay yeah i interfered too much which is fine but that isn't fair um, but uh, and, and Wikipedia is a whole new problem. I mean, uh, and, and talking about knowledge graphs and knowledge panels. I mean, you, you, as far as I'm aware, here I'm showing your knowledge panel, which I love. The top of your Thanks. brand serp. I'm, I'm a brand serp obsessive. Uh, you have your Twitter boxes. You've got yourself, Spac Toro, Spac Toro. You've managed to put them to the top very quickly, uh, yeah. pushing Moz down just below the fold there, which is wonderful. I'm sorry to hide your face. No. Uh, on the left hand side, on the right hand side, sorry, you've got the facts in inverted commas about Rand Fishkin, which is the books, the description, the photos, and the people that you're associated with. Uh, Google's really got a good grip on you, and there's no need for a Wikipedia page for that, which I love. Uh, so I, uh, several years ago, this is probably a decade ago, uh, I petitioned Wikipedia to delete my Wikipedia page. Brilliant. I love you. Yeah. So you can, there's a process that individuals can go through where if uh, editors have created a page about you, you can submit, and if you are sort of, you know, if you can prove that you're not noteworthy enough, um, which is an odd thing, right? I have to. Which we all do the absolute like, no, opposite. Brilliant. There's, you know, there's there's millions of people like me. If you were, if you're going to include me, you're going to have to include millions more. And I, you know, I I don't have the notoriety to have a Wikipedia page. Please delete this. Uh, they will consider the request, and they, you know, obviously a group of individual editors, uh, but they did. They they ended up deleting it, which worked out great. Right, because yeah. I mean, I, I've been looking at this and saying, okay, Wikipedia isn't the be all on end all, we can actually function and get into the Google's knowledge graph without it. And that's what we need to be doing. And what happened is I experimented so much on my own Wikipedia page, my band from the 90s and my cartoon characters from the year 2000. I mean, the, the band sold 40,000 records. 
So wow. it is notable. And they still deleted it because I interfered too much. The cartoon series, uh, it was shown in 15 countries. They Ooh. still deleted it. Uh, produced Wait, by Jason, ITV maybe Studios. you stumbled inadvertently on an excellent technique. By interfering and looking like you were trying to promote yourself, <laughs> you inadvertently were able to do SEO by removing Wikipedia, which is probably a great thing. Yeah, but that, that's only for you and your mother and a couple of other people who actually want to delete the Wikipedia pages. Everyone else wants to keep them. But what it has made me realize, and what's happened is my entire universe, in inverted commas, my, gra my knowledge graph and brand set universe has kind of gone a bit AWOL over the last couple of weeks. And it's been very interesting because what it does mean is that Wikipedia no longer controls my image. Yeah. And that's what you saw however many years ago. And I suddenly bow to you yet again. Ran. Oh, uh, sorry. What I was going to say is I actually had a shave. I, I, I did this because I thought you looked so chic. Oh. Uh, and I thought I would do a challenge, but it hasn't really worked. Yeah. Uh, I, I see that we're, we're both uh, sporting a good bit of gray coming in. Yep. Just the, the last bits of dark hanging on down here and up here. Yeah, you still have some. I don't have any. <laughs> it's, uh, it happens to us all, my friend. Uh, no, but, I think so. I think. That sorry, can, can can you expand on that idea of saying like I don't know how many years ago it was saying I don't want to be in Wikipedia and why you did it because I think that's sure. phenomenally interesting because I've only just realised it because I got deleted rather than something I had intelligently yeah, thought so about. It, and you've it, obviously come up with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's basically about brand control, right? Being able Brilliant. to control your image and, and also being able to uh, accurately tell your story and share information. So I, I'll give you a great example. Um, Moz, Moz's Wikipedia page to this day has incorrect uh, information about its founders, incorrect information about uh, its Ooh, funding. Yeah, the, the funding amount is wrong. Like they, they don't, they got that wrong. They got wrong who funded it. Uh, they have incorrect information about when certain events happened. So I went into the talk page, this is probably five or six years ago, and was like, look, you know, I've complained about this before here, but here are all these facts, here are the citations. I, I encourage you editors to change it. And the response was, this is a self-interested uh, founder. You know, this is Rand Fishkin's account. Uh, we should not listen to him. Uh, please delete any comments he leaves. Really? Awesome. Wonderful. Like they have proven, right? Wikipedia's editors have proven my point that you, you, you can go to those pages. And if it look, if it's about what happened in Star Trek episode 81, it's probably very trustworthy. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's about literally anything else, I wouldn't trust Wikipedia further than I could throw the servers it's housed on. Brilliant. No, no. And, and so kind of that's the point is that I went in there with my own name. Jason M. Barnard is my uh, Wikipedia username. And they were going, oh, you've been interfering. I was going, yes. but I wasn't trying to hide it. I was simply saying, I want this to be correct. Yes. And they said, ah, but you're interfering. Therefore, we will delete it. And you're saying, but that's not that's actually very fair. Right. That, that's what you want. You want them to delete it because you want, I think the less information Wikipedia has, the less power it has. And the less influential it is, right? And over time, I think that um, the, the mentality and mindset of the uh, sort of, they're, they're, they're not Machiavellian, right? But they are very um, sort of power hungry and believe in their own righteousness. Mm. And because of that, right? Because that there's these sort of folks who believe themselves to be extremely important and all this kind of thing. It is really great when they get information wrong, refuse to correct it, 
um, you know, refuse to update things, delete important pages, don't include other people, because that reduces the overall trust and value of Wikipedia. And that, I think, is a very good thing, right? I, I My strong preference is not to have anonymous communities of um, right. sort of, uh, you know, power-hungry editors controlling how we how information is spread on the web, but instead sourced information, right? I, sorry, I, Rant, I like you just a little bit more all of a sudden than I did before. That's wonderful. Um, no, because because uh, I've been working with WordLift on this entity-based content model, and one of the reasons we've been doing it is to say, how can we build this presence up? And CaliCube Tuesdays, which is the event I created to house all of this, has got three places in the knowledge graph without any Wikipedia, no Wikidata, yeah. Unfortunately, you didn't get one, and now I'm very curious because you're in the knowledge graph. Jez Schultz isn't. Chase mm. Reiner isn't. Neil Schaefer wasn't, and Ted Rubin wasn't mm. or isn't. And the only re or the only episodes that have got a place in the knowledge graph have been the ones with people who are not yet in the knowledge graph, which is very intriguing. Oh, fascinating! I wonder if that's a is that correlation or causation? It would be fascinating to, to know. The thing is, it's such a small data set that I'm, I'm pushing this out there. I expected, honestly, that this episode would get in the knowledge graph and mm. that I would then be able to barnacle on you for a bit of fame for myself. Uh, didn't work out. So I'm now barnacling off Joe Schultz, yeah. who lovely and wonderful and intelligent and brilliant though she is, doesn't help me with the knowledge graph because she isn't in there. And Ted Rubin, I wonder surprisingly, if, uh, enough, have they claimed didn't. have they claimed their knowledge panels? They don't have them. None of the other the, none of the people associated with this who okay. got in the knowledge graph through CaliCube Tuesdays hmm. have a knowledge graph presence in the API at all, and none of them have knowledge panels, even indirectly. Got it. Got it. Yeah, interesting. It's I mean, nuts. yeah, part of this is well, uh, you know what. Jason, I shouldn't. I shouldn't speculate. I, I'm a few years out from SEO, right? I, I left. Right. Moss, yeah. Good point. Sorry. Uh, I'm getting years your, ago, yeah. and so knowledge graph, knowledge panel stuff is like, I, you know, I have leftover knowledge from my previous career, but I have not been paying much attention the last two and a half, three years. So. Right. Okay. Can, can we just go through? I did a little bit of research because I love this, and then we can move on to your your current thing. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll try and do it in order because uh, I found you. That was you, uh, and then I found this. Which is, which is a web page that has a knowledge graph entry and a knowledge panel. And you go, how did that happen? And then I looked, looked it up, and this is how it happened. It goes, obviously not from you, but you and Geraldine are linked together. And she won the James Beard Award for Personal Essay, Long Form. That's got its knowledge panel. And, that, and, and it's all this kind of barnacling off stuff. Yeah. But none of this, as far as I can see, has anything to do with Wikipedia, which is absolutely glorious. It is. It is glorious. You know what? You know what frustrates me a lot about that, though, is um, obviously I'm extremely proud of Geraldine. I think she's done wonderful work. I, I really do worry that the more structured data we give Google, and the more that they are able to build off of it, the less they need the rest of the internet. And um, right. and I think it's basically a you know Google builds algorithms to extract the free labor that. You know, many human beings, yourself and myself included, and and millions of content creators for the web uh, included. They basically use the that free labor in the same way that um, 
you know, an Uber doesn't pay its drivers for its cars and doesn't really cover their costs effectively, right? And and Google's essentially building up its value on the backs of free labor using the prisoner's dilemma, right? We are all trapped in the prison and either we create content or somebody else does and we have to give it to Google because they're the only, you know, they're the only traffic source. They've managed to become a monopoly. So th- this concerns me a lot. This is why I was really interested. I- I'm sure you saw the other day, right, that um, the United States Congress uh, was sort of interrogating the big tech CEOs, and um, and they they released a data a data dump of documents, right, private emails right. from inside Google. Um, you know, between folks like Larry and Sergey and Bill Brocker, which is, you know, Matt Cutts's old boss from uh, the search quality team years ago. And the, and Amit Singhal, right? And all, all these folks. And, and you can see very clearly these um, borderline abusive, anti-competitive, uh, very on the border of sketchy, um, you know, I don't know if it's illegal, but it is certainly um, hard to say it's anything but unethical. And this is during right. the same time, right, that Google's mantra was do no evil. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, and that, that was the thing. I read an article the other day and they were kind of basically like somebody was pontificating. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, it was when Google Ads turned up, AdSense turned up um, and Google Ads in 2003, was it? Uh, that, that 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 mantra suddenly kind of took a back back seat and slowly got pushed backwards, yeah. uh, and, and and that's kind of commercial. We need to make money, and oh, that comes back to your zebras and unicorns thing. Yeah, I think this all goes back to exactly the same thing, right? That the idea that Google has too much power over the rest of us, right? The idea that the United States prioritizes billionaires over everyone else. Mm. The idea that. Um, uh, that that you know the web prioritizes giving information to Google and helping them with our free labor and building up their information graph so that they can show people instant answers and while we do the work on the back end and get nothing for it, not even a visit. This this is sort of how I think um, this is the push and pull of what what a lot of folks call late stage capitalism, right? And you can see it in little ways and big ways, and I think that. For those of us in the microsphere, microcosm of internet marketing, web marketing, SEO, you know, content, all of that stuff, mm. we can feel it very painfully and very personally when Google takes away uh, traffic opportunities from us, when they push, you know, four ads above our brand name, when when obviously our name is the th- thing that people are yeah. looking for, right? When they um, when they take. Uh, content from our websites that they that we have paid our hosts to let them crawl, right? They they crawl it every day. We're paying eh, maybe a few dollars a year, maybe a few dozen dollars a year, maybe a few hundred or thousand, right? Moz probably pays a thousand dollars a year to have Google crawl it, right? right? Okay, and, yeah. and extract uh, data from it. And then when it when it shows that information to people, the idea is that we get traffic back in return. And when that bargain is broken. Right, it's broken in so many ways. It was broken when they took away uh, keywords, when they you know went to keyword not provided for organic search. Mm. They took away a lot of the value of attribution and our ability to improve our yeah. content and all those kinds of things. When they uh, when they started taking our the, the James Beard Award example, right? When they took the James Beard Foundation's traffic away 
and they put that that data right in the box. That's that's a good point because I mean I've seen the James Beard Award because I went through uh, and I'll show it again. This this four point process yeah. of figuring out how a, a web page got to become an entity in the knowledge graph. I mean that may well be the future. I mean and the future is fairly scary when you're saying if every web page is an entity in the knowledge graph, there is no traffic. Um, yeah, the the internet is just a locked Google. Uh, vault, and if you want to break in, you have to be owned by Alphabet. And this is this is why you know some of the research that I've been doing over the last few years is uh, trying to show how Google has essentially increased the number of searches that end without a click on any result, mm -hmm. and increased the number of searches that end with a click back to another Google property. And I, I think that um, you know the unfortunate reality is Google does not have a competitor, right? It, like Bing is a reasonable yep. substitute, but they're not a competitor. They are, you know, 4% market share to Google's 96% market share. Um, yeah. Well, and that, I, I, I had a conversation with um, Brad Geddes about why Bing will never close. And there are two reasons in his mind. One is Microsoft will never let go of that because they don't want Google to lose focus on that because they will then start looking at Google Docs, Google Sheets, Google Slides, and Microsoft's bread and butter is really there. So they're going to keep Bing going, even if it's lost leader, yeah. just to stop Google going there. And the other thing is Google don't want it to disappear because otherwise they get into loads of trouble and they can never argue there is a competitor. I mean, is that a fair comment? Um, I think I think those are both accurate points, right? I think that you know Microsoft has its, its moats in enterprise software, in business software, office software. Um, Microsoft has made huge inroads in cloud, right? Google has been yeah. relatively unsuccessful in cloud compared to Amazon and Microsoft. Um, but the uh, you know reality is, I, I think that um, one of the biggest reasons you cannot build a decent competitor to Google is because, and this is in the documents. So in, in those emails, let me see if I can pull that up uh, because right, yeah. the documents that were released, right? So this is, you can go to whatever it is, us.house.gov um, and you can look at this trove of emails, right? Internal emails that, wow. um, that folks uh, sent inside of Google so I had this I had this thread uh, a couple of days ago on Twitter. Let me see if I can. Can I put that in the comments? Maybe I can put it in. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. You probably can't share your screen. I mean, part of me doesn't want to know this because I don't want. <laughs> but you know what I mean. You're kind of thinking, I, I don't want to know this because it'll be it'll be it'll ruin every everything I'm doing. And I think you've had the courage to say, well, actually, yeah, it does ruin a lot of the stuff I've been doing. Maybe maybe I need to accept that. Uh, yeah. I'm going to put it as a banner. Uh, yeah, so they, they there they, you go. Is that it? Uh, yes, that's that's the URL. Oh, I right? pity so, the so person this... who tries to copy paste that. <laughs> oh, sorry, who tries to copy that? You actually write it all out with the number. Yeah, yeah, one two eight eight nine eight zero five. But, but, but one of the documents, one of the documents in there states basically we should use the fact that more users search us to build up our. Um, competitive advantage so that no one can ever build a search engine to compete with us. Seriously? Right? Yeah. The, the, it's right in the documents, right? One, oh. of, one of the emails basically says, hey, let's double down on this because uh, by using user data, right? Uh, things like clicks, what people click on and, and what, they, what they don't, uh, we can basically build systems that are far more advanced, far better, far more relevant than what our competitors would ever be able to build. And that's that's pretty frustrating, right? The the, the idea of 
um, you know, a capitalist economy and, and a regulated capitalist economy is that you want um, oh. a government that is willing to step in when someone creates barriers to entry, barriers to competition, because a, a, ver a healthy economy is one that's driven by competition. Um, and anytime you get one entity, one business sort of dominating, uh, that can be extremely problematic, right? It can um, contribute to wealth inequality, contribute to, to people not being able to put their uh, best skills to work, blah, 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 blah. But uh, Google so far has avoided that. And I think, frankly, you know, obviously, I think if anyone was listening to our conversation earlier, they could tell I'm, I'm probably not a fan of the existing American administration. No. <laughs> but I will say this, the prior administration, right, Barack Obama's administration, I, I have great fondness for, for Obama as a president. I think he did a lot of wonderful things. Um, yeah. But I have a lot of criticism for how he handled his relationship, um, his relationships administration with big tech companies. But then he and Google were very friendly. Yeah, but governments are all scared of the big tech companies. I mean, you've got yes. Ireland who are saying, well, oh, we're not going to tax you because at least that way you're here and we've got the employment, uh, which is and a terribly big problem when governments are, are scared of... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, you don't, you don't want that, right? You do not want uh, governments to be afraid of corporations, right? That is, that is a dangerous path to go down. I, think, I don't think there's anyone on, on the left wing of the spectrum, on the right wing of the political spectrum, who thinks that's a good thing, right? Uh, our governments should not be afraid of Mark Zuckerberg and you know, Larry and Sergey and Sundar. Um, that is, that's, that's a dangerous world to live in. And then moving that a step forward, I mean, this is one question I keep asking myself is since when did Microsoft become the good guy? <laughs> I mean, I think I think it started a few years ago. I think there was a time when, um, you know, Steve Ballmer sort of recognized that he um, and, and the board, right, and, and Bill Gates sort of recognized that they were not the right people for this. Um, mm -hmm. And... I I can tell you, living in Seattle, right in the backyard, the shadow of Microsoft, right, yeah. uh, the the perception of Satya Nadella is that he is humble, charismatic, thoughtful. Wow. That, um, that's a good trick to pull off. Humble I mean, and charismatic. That's that's a nice trick. You pull it off pretty well. Well, I don't know about if that. I may say so. Sorry, I'm, I'm throwing I'm throwing you flowers as we say. That's you. You are far too kind and generous to me, Jason. <laughs> um, I would very much like to go to Paris and and sit in the streets and, and get a coffee with you. We uh, we could but, dance on on the oh, on the side of the Seine in the beach. Oh God, stop! You're going to make my uh, my heart hurt. But um, but but I think Sachin Nadella has um, brought a culture with him into Microsoft at the, from the top level down, and I think this. You know, it shows the importance of 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 the CEO role. I think better than yeah. almost any CEO change I can think of in the last couple decades. Right, right. where Microsoft's stock value has turned around, their public perception has turned around. They have gotten out of a lot of the business of what do I want to say? Like interfering with the rest of the web or the rest of the economy. They focused on building great products for their customers. They found their niches, and and they are. They, they have more revenue than Google, right? Like, Good point. Yeah, quite, and, quite and we forget that. We, we forget that because Google is so incredibly present. I mean, I did a series of interviews. I was in Seattle just before the lockdown, and yeah. I did a series of interviews with uh, Bing team leads for the uh, Q&A feature snippet for the videos uh, with uh, Fabrice Canal, who does Bing Bot, who's an incredibly interesting guy. 
and talks about a lot of about the annotation layers, which I'm incredibly uh, curious about. And everybody, all the other team leads said, if he didn't do the annotation layers, we couldn't pull this information out and our, uh, our algorithm simply would not function. Mm, so that wow. annotation layer becomes fundamentally important to everything. He's saying if it, if it can annotate because your HTML is good, it can extract the information, which brings two things. One is the, the other algorithms can function correctly, but the right. other, if, as you rightly said, is you're giving them power um, because they can extract it and annotate yeah. it so easily. Uh, and yeah, the last and one, sorry, just, just to finish, is Nathan yeah. Chalmers, who's the whole page algorithm. And you're going, I didn't even begin to imagine there was a whole page algorithm. And there is. And they just say, okay, all of these kind of candidate sets come in and they put their bid in and they've all got their place by right. But actually, we're going to throw some out because they're not actually very useful. Uh, and I think Bing have got a really good grasp. Or uh, I, I appreciate the way they uh, uh, present it, the way they work. And the fact that they talk to me and they explain to me. Yeah. Because then you just come back and say, actually, everyone, we just need to do marketing. And that, that feels like the, the humility and yeah. culture and thoughtfulness flowing down, right, from Sacha into the team layers, right? And you can, you can feel it inside the organization. Yeah. Um, I think that's absolutely the case, right? Like I, um, I certainly felt, and Moz was a tiny company compared to Microsoft, you know, 200 employees, something like that, right? But I, <laughs> I remember feeling that difference of, oh, you know, this company has inherited these sorts of traits from me and it feels, you know, I can feel myself in the organization, right, all, all the way throughout it. And then when I stepped down as CEO and uh, and a new CEO came in, I could feel that change happening over time, right? right that over okay. the next few years, it was a different sort of culture that flowed from the top. And um, and a culture that you ended up not being comfortable with. Yeah, just not, not a match for me, right? And um, I wish <laughs> I, th I think I wish I had left um, before I did. I think I. <laughs> so, well, I thought you were going to say something else, but we won't. We oh, won't no, go into I, that. But I mean, yeah, I, I, think, I think it would have been experience. wise of me to probably uh, throw in the towel a little earlier. But you know, you. I don't well, know if you have this, Jason, with like your no, can band. Can I ask or... a question actually yeah. about that? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm kind of curious, simply because you're obviously so very attached to Moz. Um, I had a similar experience, and it wouldn't be the same, but I was actually a blue cartoon dog who ran a company with 14 employees, and we had 5 million kids a month coming. We had 100 million page views a month. Uh, we were competing with PBS and the BBC. Uh, and I mean, this is, that all moves on to the Wikipedia story that I'm now, I, I was crying yesterday, to be honest. Oh. Uh, and, but it, it's weak of me. Uh, it shouldn't hurt me, but it no, does. Um, and sorry, what I meant is uh, the day I left the company, the whole aspect of it completely changed. And I was deeply shocked. And I, I look back and you're saying it was being run by a blue dog a blue cartoon dog. Yeah. And I kind of look, you're obviously not a blue cartoon dog, but um, you were running the company in your image and your image is incredibly important. And Microsoft comes back to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can. Um, sorry, I just had a week. No, you're, sorry. you're absolutely right. Because this is the same thing I was right. You, uh, you took the words out of my mouth because I was going to ask, you know, with, with your experiences in animation, your experiences, you know, in, in the music world, I'm sure that you saw exactly the same principle, right? And you you feel that loss very personally, yeah. right? And it, the sort of organizational shift becomes very personal because it is, um, you know, it's a creative endeavor, 
Well, Moz was, I, I'm not yeah. actually an artist, right? You're an artist, but I'm not an artist. I, I still feel the same, that same sort of connection that many artists I know talk about in relation to the company that I built. And I think that maybe means that I'm not a great CEO, right? That I'm not a great CEO of a large organization because I need to be able to disconnect myself from it and, and think of it less as an art and more as a business. Well, exactly. Um, but I don't want to. No, exactly. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry. You just actually said the exact thing I was about to say, which is I should, but I won't because I don't yeah. want to because I, I couldn't function any other way. And from my point of view, my business partner was very business. He said, okay, you're out. I'm going to now run it how I want. This is all business. Yeah. Why are you getting so upset? And the answer is yeah, because why are I you created it. <laughs> why are you getting upset about something that you poured your life into and that, that you put your... Because they uh, don't emotional self into right yeah. and and there's a big difference between putting an emotional self and putting a uh you know whatever profit centric growth centric business self into right the, one's a job the other is a passion and and i don't um i don't want to separate them right no. so spark toro the reason that i started spark toro the way i did the reason i funded it the way i did the re the reason that you know our our docs are the way that they are the way our our investors are everything is because I don't want to ever give up that creative control, give up that ability to put my personal emotional self into the business and be able to grow it the way I want, right? I, I, I don't aspire to be Google or Microsoft or Facebook or no. Tesla or you know any of these types of companies. I don't need it to be big. I don't want it to be big. Well, but, but I would like it to your, be successful. Your, but. your zebra and unicorn thingy—I uh, I, can't—I I read it and it really stuck in my mind uh, that the unicorn is let's be the biggest in the market. We're going to crush everybody else, and that's the end of it because we're boss. And the zebra is we're just going to make enough to keep going, and we don't need to dominate as long as we're making our place and everybody's happy. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a, um, I think it's a philosophy that many folks are shifting their minds toward, yeah, but it's lovely. still it's still a struggle, right? It, there, I think there's a lot of people, especially in tech world and startup world, who um, believe that the, the best and only and right path is that unicorn mentality. And the idea of a zebra, right? The idea of a, a company that exists, an organization that exists to benefit a combination of its employees, its customers, mm -hmm. the world around it, uh, its founders and its shareholders, and generally in that order, instead of shareholders. Oh, right. you had an order there. Sorry. Yeah. Can you say it again right. in so, the right order? So unicorn, unicorn, unicorn ordering is shareholders, right? Mm -hmm. Shareholders, customers, founders, employees, community, and world. Brilliant. Okay. Right. Community and world comes last. Right. If, if we're Google, we can extract value from everybody else on the Internet and, 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 and take that all away. If we're Uber or WeWork or whoever. Right. We sort of build off of everything else and, and give back very little. But we take a lot of um, value so, from yeah. that. The, uh, the inverse. Right. The, the zebra mentality is generally speaking, uh, you want to go something something on the order of uh, customers community and founders and then and then right investors maybe yeah. uh, employees shareholder right oh, shareholders right, yeah. at the bottom of the stack instead of the top right okay yeah right. i mean employees so, can can i would presume so those, those, those first four get some level of balance up near the top Brilliant. Right? we want yeah. to balance 
the interests yeah, of our Yeah, I mean, I couldn't think of any of them I would want to exclude. I mean, you're kind of saying the employees, the community, and the users. The, right, employees, community, users, founders, shareholders. Brilliant, lovely. Right, and so the shareholders, the people who have money, are meant to serve the rest, right? Ooh, yes. As opposed to everyone serves the people who already have money. Lovely, absolutely lovely. And sorry, now, we actually didn't talk about what we were supposed to be talking about at all, which is, from my point of view, absolutely delightful. But I prepared that um, because we're talking about Spark Toro. Uh, by the way, the logo looks more unicorn than zebra, so maybe you should have done black and white stripes there. Um, but I, I actually managed to, to, to trend twice on Spark Toro since April, and I'm terribly proud. Uh, but I couldn't find why I spiked, why, why that happened. Uh, oh, can you just tell uh, us so really quickly what's the, what, the what, trending page, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. my uh, site and when SparkToro sends me the most traffic. Right, um, right, right. So that, it, that it is was, this page, this uh, SparkToro.com slash trending. And it's, um, it's basically an aggregator, much like Hacker News or Reddit or something like that, and just uses um, a bunch of web marketers who've connected their Twitter accounts Yep. And so if if many people who many web marketers who connected their Twitter accounts to SparkToro are sharing uh, pages from your website, they will show up um, in SparkToro trending. And so, yeah, and, you can. And that uh, breaks down by industry. I mean, basically, it's me and my mates start tweeting and I will spike, as it were. Um, but in any other industry, I wouldn't get a look in because it's, right. it's broken down by industry, which I love. And what you're saying is when people are talking about you, you become, in inverted commas, important, interesting. Which one would it be? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's here's, you know, trending is designed to be a here's what's hot in web marketing right now. Right. right. So it doesn't necessarily indicate importance. Uh, it probably indicates interest, at least. Um, right you know, interest at that time. Uh, and the, you know, the goal of it really is just to um, help web marketers see what's being, uh, what's being talked about and shared that day. So you can kind of go there and get the news of the web marketing world in a quick scroll instead of, you know, going through Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and, you know, trying to figure out what's, what's hot. Um, yeah, I mean, I love that. It, it, it's saying, let's look at kind of an aggregate picture of what's happening. And in this case, I mean, I, I'd like to come back to it because, I mean, I think a lot of us are digital marketers. So we say, oh, I'm trending, so that's great. But in fact, it could be nails, nail manufacturer trending. Sure. Um, and uh, that brings us to the last question, which actually should be the first question, is how does this apply to market research? <laughs> Uh, so are you talking about uh, SparkToro's trending tool specifically? Yeah, we might as well keep it really specific. Let, let's just finish yeah. off with, I mean, market research. How do you do market research using SparkToro? Oh, oh, oh. So the actual SparkToro tool, our, our, our paid audience intelligence yeah. tool. Yeah. So trending, to be clear, that was a free tool we launched a few years ago uh, right. as a promotional sort of vehicle to uh, sh show off kinds of, you know, uh, get people connecting their accounts and uh, and checking us out. I, I like it a lot. I bookmark it. I visit it almost every day. Uh, it's a very useful, free sort of aggregator, but it is not the product that SparkToro makes. Right. Okay. Which is what I had never understood. What yeah. what does SparkToro offer? Because I was just looking at the trending tool. Oh, this is fun. Why uh, yeah, would I yeah. need it? 
Um, yeah. So if you go to the Spark Toro homepage or the product page or uh, any of those things, um, you will see. So what we, what we make is a, to your point, a market research and audience intelligence tool. And uh, the idea is that you can instantly discover what any audience, any describable audience uh, reads, watches, listen to, right. follows, pays attention to. Um, so you, if you were to say, oh, I... Uh, I want to know what people who um, are uh, passionate about children's cartoons are paying attention to, or I'm interested in um, an audience of fiction writers from New York, uh, or I want to know what electrical engineers in the UK think, or I want to know what people who are into uh, heavy machinery in Germany are reading and listening to. SparkToro can tell you that. Right, you you plug in the audience. We have a few different ways you can search based on what they they talk about or what's in their uh, bio or profile or job title, uh, right. what hashtags they use, what what sources of information they follow, and then we can tell you here are the social accounts that they engage with. Here are the YouTube channels they subscribe to. Here are the podcasts they listen to. Here are the websites they visit. So, uh, yeah, it, it's much, much wider than I initially gave it credit for, and I do apologize. No, um, that's no problem. I'll, uh, I'll, you know, you can you can go and sign up for a free account, Jason, and run some oh, searches. Oh, I already did, actually, yeah. run when I was researching you. I, I signed up for the free account and got a bit obsessed by the trending tool, I ah, must admit. Gotcha, gotcha. And I, I think that that's perhaps a mistake we should avoid making, is get obsessed by the bells and whistles and actually look at what the, the details of it is. And I love that approach, is saying... Let's look at it globally. And what I do with brand SERPs, and that's my big obsession, is yeah. say, look at brand SERPs. You're looking at Google's opinion of the world's opinion of you. Rather than paying for boatloads of tools other than SparkToro, which, of course, I would pay for, um, you can just look at Google. And, and it's looking at everything or as much as human beings can imagine. And that reflection is actually very good as to your digital ecosystem your content strategy, if, if your videos aren't ranking, your content strategy around your videos is rubbish. Um, yeah. And so you can you can immediately see, A, it's your business card, B, it's your content strategy, C, it's your digital ecosystem. Um, and SparkToro, what you're doing is saying, well, let's bring market research into who's talking about you and how much and how well. Is that correct? Uh, so that would be more social listening. We, we don't really do oh, that. Right. Um, but uh, there are lots of good tools that, that do the social listening stuff. Uh, the way to th I think a good way to think about SparkToro is rather than gathering intelligence about yourself, right, your own brand, you yep. are trying to under better understand an audience. Right. Absolutely brilliant. Like a, a group of people that you want to reach or that you're trying to help your customer reach, um, if you're an agency, right, uh, that is really what SparkToro is for. So, so for example... Um, you know, yesterday I was helping uh, a a company that makes um, uh, college prep for um, business schools, right? And so, right. so the the marketer there, she was trying to figure out like, how can I gather intelligence about an audience that's going to go to business school or that's interested in going to business school? Um, can you help me find those groups of people and then figure out where we can go do our marketing? for you know, our particular company to reach them and influence them, right? And let them know about what we offer uh, for that, that group. And I, you know, I was like, yeah, I can definitely help with that, right? So I, I ran a bunch of searches um, around people who follow certain uh, business school prep websites uh, and social accounts, people who use the hashtag, I think it was, um, 
I think the hashtag was biz, B school, B school is the hashtag. Which that I you wouldn't so, guess yeah. off the top of your head, would you? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that, right? What I did is I looked at people uh, who oh. followed certain business school accounts. And then I looked at their, uh, the audience insights tab on them. And it said, you know, frequently used hashtags. B school was one of those hashtags. When I clicked that, I went, boom, this is their audience. This is exactly who they want to reach. And we have, you know, some 10,000 profiles of people who've used the hashtag B school three or more times in the last 120 days <laughs> on one or more platforms like Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn or YouTube or and, 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 and now you come into this idea of quality, not quantity, uh, of saying, if I can find 10,000 people who are actually using this hashtag or working around this idea, that's plenty enough for most yeah, of us to be getting on with for the next month, maybe year. Yeah, maybe it's like year. election polling, right? So, you, yeah. you know, you, you, you poll a, a group of people, a thousand people in a community of a million, and you get a general sense of like, okay, the election is probably going to be go this way and here's the margin of error, right? And and SparkToro works the same way. It's taking a sample of the whole audience, right? Obviously the 10,000 people that we know about who've used this hashtag, that probably means there's 100,000 or a million people who, mm. have, who have done it uh, as a whole. But our sample size is reasonable enough that you can take the data we give you and say, hey, it, chances are good that, you know, SparkToro says, 20% of the people who use the hashtag B-School have engaged with this podcast. That probably means that podcast is very popular with people thinking about business school. Let's go do some advertising or marketing on that podcast. Absolutely brilliant. I think I'm going to go sign up for Spark Tower right now. No, sorry, pay for Spark Tower because I'm already signed I, up for the free account. <laughs> and you did offer me the opportunity to win a $100 Amazon coupon, uh, which go, I failed yes. to take. I do apologize. No, that's fine. That's fine. But I we, love we, that conclusion. I mean, Spark Tarot, I, I'm, I'm really keen on what you're talking about and the way you're going right, with yeah. that. And, and that idea of kind of sampling, looking at the audience and stopping wasting our time chasing audiences for no reason at all because they're not actually interesting would be a wonderfully um, positive thing for us all because yeah. we waste I mean, too much big, time. It goes back to the thing we've been talking about throughout this conversation, Jason, which is my one of my big goals, and Casey's as well, my co-founder, one of our big goals is to help people think beyond Google and Facebook. Brilliant. Like Google and Facebook dominate so much of online advertising and online marketing, but they are not the only places that your audience is paying attention to. Your audience is following other people on social media. They are visiting other websites. They are listening to other podcasts. They are watching other videos. They are going to conferences and events, right? They're in the world and they're reachable through channels that are not the duopoly of Google and Facebook. And if you can figure out what those are, you can go do marketing in those places, either in addition to or instead of. And oftentimes you can get a lot more bang for your buck. Going and doing marketing in the places where your audience pays attention might be vastly higher return on investment than you know, a big long-term SEO project yeah. to try and rank for a handful of keywords that don't get searched for all that often. Brilliant. That's a wonderful conclusion to a conversation that was absolutely not what it was supposed to be. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, I can say, honestly, I really enjoyed talking to you, Jason. It was that such was a wonderful. pleasure. Thank you it so much. It was wonderful. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Ryan.